Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Welcome in on a Tuesday morning. I've spent a portion of the last 24 hours, a larger portion than I would care to admit. Doesn't reflect well on me, so I'm not going to tell you how much. Ha! Okay, it was too much, though. But I have spent it thinking about, thinking about uh, BYU and Washington and Utah and all of that and replaying in my mind everything we were talking about Monday. The assumptions I had on Sunday based on what I heard on Saturday. A uh, quick recap if you know what we're talking about. Uh, Saturday night. The Utes lost to USC. Kyle Whittingham did his post game. And I got in my car and I'm driving home because I stayed. The, the game went through talking sports. So I stayed to watch the end of the game at my desk. And then I got in a car and I flipped on, of course, 97.5 and 1280, the zone and the zone sports network. Why wouldn't I? And Hans Olsen and Frank Dolce are doing the post game show. And they're talking, but only for a quick minute. And they say, hey, we got Kyle for you uh, right now. Here's Kyle's post game. So great. I want to hear what Kyle has to say. So he goes into it. In the middle of it, he says, uh, now we're uh, waiting and we hope the next day or two we're going to, or ten, we're hoping tonight or tomorrow we're going to find out who we play next week. Well, the alarm bells go off right away. I mean, you're supposed to play Arizona State on Saturday. <laughs> That's pretty clear. I know that. And the fact that he would say that and even start to get out a little bit in front of the conference or these opposing teams about what's going on with their teams and a COVID test, which was a clear implication. Strikes me as highly unlikely. He's heard a lot and doesn't feel like he's talking out of school. And PK had already said on our shows earlier in the week, well, ASU, he says, I think I think this could easily impact the Utah game. They're missing a lot of guys. So I assume Kyle's heard, and I assume Utah's going to end up playing Washington because we already know Washington State's had an outbreak and they, they couldn't play last weekend and they're going to miss the second week too. And so sure enough, on Sunday, out comes the announcement from the Pac-12 that the Apple Cup is off. And I figure, well, I've got to keep watching here on social media. We're going to have an announcement that it's Utah-Washington pretty soon. That's what Kyle was hinting at. And instead, what I see is BYU-Washington and then this whole blow up about BYU's ducking them. And all I can think is BYU's not going to get to play them. The Pac-12 laid out the protocols and Utah is going to play Washington. Why, why is Washington even bothering with BYU? So a little more of the backstory has come out. Well, Washington was talking to BYU before they knew how bad things had gotten at Arizona State, right? But BYU would be a contingency plan. Hey, agree to it. Keep your kids home for the holidays. Ramp up your testing. Spend more money when Tom Holmes out saying the 20 million in the hole, which by the way is great when you consider the schools that are 30, 40, or 50 million in the hole. I assume Tom's already been working with, you know, the development staff and the fundraising staff and, and backfilling some of that, that debt because, you know, they don't have season tickets and, and the testing, as Tom pointed out in his piece that ran Saturday in the game, that, you know, the testing is this unexpected expense, you know, to get, to get the team tested routinely multiple times per week, the staff and the team. So uh, I'm running through all this in my mind thinking, why are people making a big deal of this? Is BYU really ducking Washington? Washington's going to play Utah anyway. That's how this is going to work out. But the thing that I didn't consider until after yesterday's show is this scenario. I originally saw BYU's schedule and thought, you know, they got to win a couple of big games, but if they do, they could be undefeated, right? I mean, going to the blue turf, there are no guarantees. We know that. But we know how that went. They won that, and they won at Houston and the beat Navy. And, and so, uh, so sure enough, here they are undefeated. But if you had asked me on September 1st, I'm telling you BYU's going undefeated. Where will BYU be ranked? And I would have said 15 to 20. You can't get that much mileage out of this schedule. There are some nice games, but there aren't enough. Now, things have played out the way they have. And the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and the Mountain West didn't play much football. 
And we've had a lot of games canceled, so we have teams that haven't played a lot of games. We still have teams sitting on one, two, and three games played. And the SEC is beating itself up more than they do in an, another year, which makes it easier to climb. Because you don't have to climb over eight SEC teams because they can't all win because they're playing each other. Everything we've complained about with the SEC schedule is out the window. Now they got to play 10 conference games. And the Big 12's beat itself up pretty soundly and lost to the Sun Belt in some early season disasters. So BYU finds themselves at number eight. So there's a part of me saying, ah, BYU doesn't really have to play big games here at the end if they don't want because they're probably going to New Year's Six Bowl. And what I overlooked and what I shouldn't have, but what I did is, what happens tonight when the selection committee rankings are revealed? Often, they are very close to the AP media poll. And I think they will be tonight in a lot of cases. I mean, do I think Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and Notre Dame are going to be one, two, three, four? I do, in some order. Clemson won't be in the top spot, right? Uh, Because they lost to Notre Dame. But Alabama probably will be. Some of it's predictable. But can any of you guarantee me that BU is going to be eight? Because I've kind of had this assumption building in my mind over the last month that they're set for a New Year's Six Bowl. But I'm watching the way things are playing out, and I'm wondering, Wisconsin, Indiana, Northwestern, these teams could have good records in the Big Ten, maybe just one loss, and Ohio State could win the league. They'd be in the hunt for New Year's Six. Uh, Miami, and either Clemson or Notre Dame, whoever doesn't win the league, could be in the hunt. Florida with a second loss to Alabama, but what if it's close? A&M with only one loss. I can add up seven Power 5 teams for six spots, and I'm not even considering giving a second berth to the Big 12 or the Pac-12. BYU would be an eighth team for one of those six spots. There's five for the Power Leagues, and there's one for the Group of Five, which right now looks like it would go to Cincinnati. So six teams are in. There's six more spots. But I'm looking at eight teams. Are we going to watch this tonight and see that BYU is uh, 15, according to the selection committee? Because if they are then as big as a pain in the butt as it is, and I know they told kids that they could go home for Thanksgiving and kids bought airline tickets, and now they're probably gone. <laughs> but should BYU, even though the odds are they're not going to get to play Washington anyway, do they need to take that on? Is BYU on the outside looking in, or are they on the inside looking out? If they are going to go to a New Year's, I don't think they have any shot at going to the playoff, but if they are going to go to a New Year's Six Bowl, then who cares if they had a game or not? That's the big prize. And if you get it, who cares? Uh, coaches and players may want to play because it's fun to play, and they may think, expect, and they probably do, that they'll beat whoever they play, possibly even destroy whoever they play, the way they did Boise State. But if I set aside this preconception, I mean, there's a couple things I've been carrying around that you know you you have this preconception. It's the foundation. You build everything off on it. One is Utah's going to end up playing Washington. Two, BYU's going to a New Year's Six Bowl. What if those two are wrong? If Utah's not playing Washington, BYU, you got to pay for the extra testing. You got to play. Go up there. We haven't even discussed the money. Is Washington giving BYU anything for this game? Or are they giving them something, but not enough? I mean, follow the money, people. PK and I have said that a million times. Follow the money. That could be another issue. Nobody wants to talk about publicly, but Washington's like, mm, we, got, we got some debt to backfill. BYU needs a game for credibility. We don't need to give them money to. Other things, which I did take into account that led to this whole brouhaha, is that uh, Washington drilled BYU last year in Provo. So there are definitely people looking at BYU's schedule going, that's nice that you thrashed Boise State at Boise. 
with the Broncos' third-string quarterback. But come on. We lit you up last year. We will beat you again this year. Yeah, Cougar fans don't want to hear it, but Cougar fans, take the blue glasses off, put yourself in a Washington mindset, and what would you say if the roles were reversed? If BYU had drilled Washington last year, you'd bring it up. If it were my team, I'd bring it up. I think that's just human nature for a sports fan. So, I don't think it matters. I don't think BYU's playing Washington. I think that one is a toast. That is a memory, a whisper. I think that was a big deal Sunday, and I think uh, it's a DOA here on Tuesday. It's not happening. I think the BYU players have scattered, and Washington's moving on looking for other games, and fine. You know, and I, and I, and I do think Washington's going to end up playing Utah, and this was all a lot about nothing. You know, the conference wants to take care of the conference first. Um, you know, I get that. Uh, Washington-BYU would be a sexier game than Washington-Utah, but the conference is going to take care of conference. Utah needs games to develop guys for next year. That's what this year was supposed to be for the Utes. Any winning they did was gravy. This is like three years ago when they played Tyler Huntley as a sophomore. Well, they're sitting Troy Williams, they're 7-6, and six, and they sat a senior who had a, was coming off a really good year, so this better pay off the next two years. Well, guess what? It paid off the next two years. Big time. Jackpot. Pac-12 South, two conference title games. Didn't pay off with the conference title on the trip to the Rose Bowl, but it still paid off. So, that's what this year is for the Utes. Now, if they were to, if the conference would tell Utah, hey, we want BYU to play Washington, not you, Kyle would be up there like, how am I supposed to develop a team if you won't give me games? So, the conference policy is right. It doesn't provide for the most attractive game. Seeing if, if BYU could be Washington on the road would get a lot of eyeballs nationally. Uh, but you got to take care of the conference teams and the U coaching staff and the U players deserve a chance to develop and turn into whatever they can be in 2021 and 2022. So I get the policy, even if it's awkward this week. Anyway, that's what I'm thinking. The selection committee tonight, they will uh, reveal. They will reveal what uh, where BYU is. And maybe maybe BYU will be in a seven, eight, nine slot. And they're eight in the median coaches polls. And if they're there, great. They're set up for a New Year's six. But if they're 15, give me a high-profile game right now. BYU's got to prove itself. I'm not convinced San Diego State is going to get you that much credibility. They're 3-2 and two now. Coulda, woulda, shoulda against San Jose. Coulda, woulda, shoulda at Nevada. But they blew both those games, and they lost them. They had their chances. They were there for the taking, and they didn't do it right at the end. All right, DJ and PK, we've got to take a break. Uh, coming up, let's talk some jazz basketball. Let's get a beat writer in here. Eric Walden covers the Jazz for the Salt Lake Tribune. We'll talk NBA free agency with him next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought to you in part by Syringa Networks, home to complete business telecom and IT solutions, backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. Time to welcome in Eric Walden, Utah jazz writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. Eric, good morning. How are you doing, guys? Good. good. We didn't make as much money this weekend as all the NBA players, but we're pretty good. Yeah, right? Like, there's always 
there's always something a little bit disheartening about spending the weekend reading how many millions of dollars <laughs> other people are making, right? And no, knowing that's just a little bit out of your reach. <laughs> yeah, more than a little. Uh, as far as that goes, uh, obviously favors coming back. So it looks like the Jazz uh, defensive identity is going to return and it's going to be a little bit better than it was last year. But do you think that the offense will suffer? You know, I'm kind of of two minds about this. Um, I feel like bringing Faye back, yeah, the the main motivation there is definitely uh, they felt like every time Rudy went to the bench, uh, the the productivity took a nosedive, especially defensively. Um, for all the improvement that that Tony Bradley made uh, last year, and and he did, they, he just wasn't great at recognizing defenses. He was always a little slow to react. So so bringing Fave back is definitely intended to address that side first. Now, as for the impact that he has offensively. I think that he probably is not going to be playing enough minutes to make a significant impact there. I don't, I don't think they're going to be taking a dive. Um, this is a team that when Boyan Bogdanovich was healthy and Mike Conley was healthy and when uh, Jordan Clarkson was uh, was playing with them, they were among the top offenses in the league. You know, I think they led the league in scoring after uh, in, in the months after they acquired Clarkson. So... I would expect they'll probably still be up there. You know, part of that will come down to Carson had a career year from from the three point line. You know, um, is that is that kind of an anomaly, or is that due to the fact that he was playing with uh, arguably the most talented cast he's had around him? You know, where where Donovan Mitchell can take some attention, where Boyan Bogdanovich can create some space, where Mike Conley can generate some gravity for him. You know. Um, I think probably Conley, or uh, sorry, Clarkson is, is a little more key to their their offensive efforts than than Derek Favors is. And then on top of that, you know, while Fave isn't a great offensive player, uh, we've seen before he has some uh, he has some pick and roll synergy with Joe Ingles, and that's 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 nothing to be discounted. You know, um, so I think I suspect they'll they'll probably be one of the better offensive teams in the league again. Yeah. So uh, this is two questions in one, which can be dicey, but I think you are the kind of person who can handle it. (laughs) That's that's a big assumption on your part, but we'll see how it goes. So, number one, I was surprised how freely the money flowed, given the fact the league obviously took a financial hit last year and obviously is going to take one this year. Beyond that, who knows? I was surprised the money flowed so freely. And with the money flowing so freely, I was surprised the Jazz were able to get Derek Favors at this price because I think he's a decent starting center in the league. He'll be the best backup center in the league, but he'd be a decent starting center in the league. And I thought somebody might give him uh, you know, $15 million a year. And the money was flowing. I thought it would... You know, teams creating cap room, making moves. Uh, did either one of those things surprise you that there was that much money out there, or that Derek didn't get more of it? Not that he came up short. <laughs> and I, I would say neither one surprised me a ton. Um, once, once the the league and the players' association kind of sat down and and negotiated the terms of the amended CBA. Um, 
and decided, you know, it doesn't behoove anyone to take that massive hit to the salary cap this year. I mean, you, you guys know that the, that the salary cap every year is calculated at the end of the season based on what's referred to as basketball-related income, which is uh, TV money, which is fans in the stands, spending money on jerseys and concessions and things like that, even, even uh, money from naming rights to arenas and practice facilities. And based, you know, as you alluded to, the NBA lost a ton of money this past year uh, because of COVID, uh, because of the situation with with losing advertising in China as a result of the Daryl Morey situation. If they had negotiated, if they had, if they had followed standard protocol and and based the salary cap off of that, we'd have seen the salary cap drop from 109 million to 90 million dollars. So 19 million dollars single season drop. Uh, fortunately, cooler heads prevailed, and, and everyone agreed that was not uh, good for business. That, that that would have just created chaos in terms of the number of teams that would have had to jettison good players simply because they would have been way over the cap. So, um, in keeping the in, in, in keeping the salary cap where it was, um, you know that created money to be spent for a lot of teams. Um, now, where how that impacts Fave is that I didn't foresee him getting too much extra money simply because while teams had money to spend, not too many teams had a ton of money to spend. You know, you had the Knicks out there, you had the Hawks, you had the Hornets. I, I want to say there were only maybe half a dozen teams total that had that had more than honestly, like the mid-level exception available that had, that had like genuine cap space. So once you look at that, uh, you're, you're figuring out that the majority of teams in the league have uh, the, the non-taxpayer mid-level exception of $9.3 million, which is, I suspect, what they've got. So um, could the Knicks have given them more? Yeah. Could the Hawks have given them more? Yeah, but they'd also made some moves recently um, to where you know they, they'd acquired several centers. I'm, I'm sure he probably would have liked to have gone back to his hometown of Atlanta, but it just turned out that the teams that had the money, um, you know, Detroit was one of those teams that had the money, and, and they acquired five centers in three days. So theoretically, they could have been one of those, but uh, they decided they liked other guys better. They liked Dwayne Dedman better for some reason. They liked uh, Mason Pomley better for some reason. So little little bit of weirdness, but um, yeah, the market was such that there was some money to be spent, but just not enough for a guy like Derek Favors to, to get the bag, as it were. You think the Jazz still have another move in them? Uh, I, I think maybe they have a, a, a minimum veteran move to, to be made. Honestly, um, you know, their their only other option at this point would be would be to make another trade. Um, their cap situation is such that uh, they're they're just uh, getting close enough to the tax apron that it doesn't make sense to do anything else. You know, theor- theoretically, they've got that uh, biannual exception they could use, uh, which is I want to say like three point six million dollars you can spend. And you know, we've seen a few teams utilize that. That was the Lakers. Uh, first signing, bringing in a guy like Wesley Matthews on a $3.6 million biannual exception. 
The Jazz, though, I think between the money they're spending on Mike Conley, on Rudy, on Boyan, uh, you know, using the mid-level on Fave, bringing back Jordan Clarkson at the number they did, uh, probably their, their, most of their money is spent. We're going to see them retain some of the guys on non-guaranteed contracts that they had last year, like George Niang, like Mie Aoni, guys who are paid less than $2 million a year. And then, you know, maybe they can bring in a vet minimum at $1.6 million. But I don't think there's, I don't think there's going to be anything beyond that, to be honest. We're joined right now by Eric Walden, Utah jazz writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. Uh, as you look around the West, did the Lakers pull away from the pack? Uh, did the lack, maybe they lose a little shot blocking and that's going to be a problem for them? Or, or they just got more talent and that's a problem for everybody else? It's, it's kind of crazy <laughs> what, what being a championship winning team in Los Angeles can, can do for your ability to attract talent, right? Um, yeah, the Lakers have, have improved in my estimation. Uh, I love the, the Gasol move for them. You know, is he the Mark Gasol of, of 2013 when he was Defensive Player of the Year? No, he's not. You know, he's he's 35 years old. He's moving a little slower. Uh, he's, you know, he, he, he's probably like a 20-minute-a-night top guy at this point. But you have him, you add a Montrez Harrell, you had a Dennis Schroeder. You had a Wesley Matthews. You know, this was a team that, for all the talent it had, struggled to score every time LeBron James went to the bench last year. And that's not going to be an issue now. Uh, we've seen the Clippers make a few moves. Serge Ibaka is an incredible get for them uh, to replace Montrezl Harrell. Um, as, as you mentioned, the Nuggets, I think, probably took a step back. Um they did add uh, Jermichael Green. They did add uh, Facundo Campazzo, the uh, the incredible Argentine point guard who I, I understand is just going to be like incredible fun to watch. But yeah, they lose Jeremy Grant. They lose Mason Plumlee. Um, they took some hits on defense. They they wound up having to pull their offer to Tory Craig, who I know isn't a great shooter, but was a tremendous defender as we've seen in the games against the Jazz. I think the Blazers got better, acquiring Robert Covington, bringing back Ennis Cantor, who arguably had his best stretch there. It's going to be tough, but, you know, the way I look at it, too, is the Jazz are retaining everyone who they had last year from what probably should have been the fourth-best team in the West before they, they tanked a few games in the bubble to get a seeding matchup. And then you add Derek Favors on top of that, to uh, to improve the interior D, so I think Jazz fans should be encouraged. Would um, would it have been optimal to add someone who was a little bit better a perimeter defender? Yeah, it would have. But you know, they they decided that the interior D was a more pressing need, and and they went that way with it. Is it possible, and if so, please do, to explain the apron and the salary cap and the hard cap to the layman? Yeah. Okay. So um, the salary cap is basically you're allowed at a baseline to spend about $109 million for the 15 guys on your roster, right? Um, 
you can go beyond that to what's called the luxury tax. Basically, the league wanted to create some opportunities for teams to uh, retain some of their own guys. And, you know, it, it's an inevitable fact that whenever you keep guys who you've brought up through the system over the years, they get more expensive, right? Whenever guys are changing teams, there's a chance that that the market is whatever for, for a guy, you know, coming in from elsewhere. He may make less, he may make more, you don't know. If you're retaining a guy on your team over multiple contracts, uh, you're, you're inevitably going to be paying more for him from one contract to the next. So the league created uh, this, this next level of the cap called the luxury tax, where you can exceed um, this year the mark is $132 million. You can get up to that in order to have some wiggle room to keep your own guys. Now, that's the mark where they don't really want teams to get beyond, but again, there are some ways to do that. Um, once you start getting around the $138, $139 million mark in terms of salary outgoing to players, that's where uh, that's where the trouble starts. That's where you start paying big-time penalties. That's where your ability to make moves gets hampered. So that's, that's where the so-called tax apron is. So once you're spending above $132 million, you start getting onerous taxes put on you, um, you know, a dollar-for-dollar tax, a dollar-fifty-per-dollar tax, a dollar-seventy-five or two dollars for every dollar that you're over. Um, and then, yeah, with some of these moves, like the Jazz using the mid-level exception, that creates a situation where they become what's called hard caps. They cannot go over $138.9 million in spending no matter what because they've used that exception. Same for if they were to use the biannual exception. These exceptions are put in place to say you can go a little bit over, but once you use this move, you can't go over that $138.9 million tax apron level. So basically, yeah, it's a means of enabling teams to be able to spend more, to keep guys, and also to, you know, occasionally improve by bringing in guys from the outside as well. So, with that as a background, are they going to get Rudy Gobert done? Because it looks like they're going down a list, checking things off. Favors, Clarkson, Mitchell. I think Gobert would be up next. What do you expect? Yeah, he, he's definitely the last one on the list. I'm curious to see what happens there. I would expect they get it done. They absolutely want to get something done. Uh, that said, I think it's also no secret out there that there's been some reservations expressed in terms of giving Rudy the so-called supermax, where he's eligible to earn 35% of the team's salary cap as a result of being an all-NBA selection and, and defensive player of the year. Um, these are the contracts that we've seen awarded to uh, the Chris Pauls and the Russell Westbrooks and the John Walls, where you know it was intended again as a as a means of rewarding a guy and keeping him in keeping him with the team that he's been with. But what we've wound up seeing is uh, those contracts more often than not kind of become an albatross to the team handing them out. I mean, how much did Wizards regret giving? a supermax to John Wall right now. 
we were seeing, you know, a year ago, Chris Paul on a Supermax was thought to be untradeable, and the same with Russell Westbrook. Um, so Rudy's eligible for that. The Jazz probably don't want to give that to him. Uh, but then on the flip side, we're seeing with this contract that, with this extension that Donovan got, um, that he basically has has it written in there to where he can kind of get to that level if he makes the All-NBA team. You know, his, his baseline extension is five years, $163 million. If he winds up making an All-NBA team after this season, that goes up to 190, $195. Uh, how does that play in the Rudy Gobert camp? You're willing to give that to Donovan, but not to me. Um, I don't know if that creates drama or not. I hope it doesn't because I think this team is really compelling and, and honestly just a lot better with Rudy Gobert on it than without him. But they're going to have to find some middle ground, I think, to make that happen. Um, we'll see what the timing is on that. I, w- I would suspect that, you know, as you mentioned, he's, he's kind of the last thing on the to-do list. So they ought to be working on that. I suspect they're working on it. I wouldn't be shocked if we heard something in the next couple of days, in fact, on it. But that's going to come down to, yeah, both sides' willingness to kind of meet somewhere in the middle, probably. Well, that's a lot for uh, jazz fans to chew on. A lot is done, and clearly a lot is still to be done. Eric, thanks for a few minutes, and uh, we'll keep reading you because camp's right around the corner. <laughs> Man, uh, yeah, you're not kidding. It's like uh, It's like this, this offseason is like drinking from a fire hose, right? <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. All right, you take care, guys. There's Eric Walden, Utah jazz writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. When we come back, Ian Furness, KJR, Q13, Fox. He works in Seattle, Washington. He used to be right here in Utah. Now he's up in Seattle. We'll talk with the index. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Action Plumbing, Heating, and Electrical. Spring into action now. Mention this ad and receive $33 off any service. Call Action today at 801-833-3333. That's 801-833-3333. Time to welcome in our old boss, Ian Furness, now in Seattle, KJR Radio, Q13 TV, doing the Fox thing on Q13. Ian, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Uh, We are good. And we are also wondering... How come you moved to Seattle and got in the middle of some Utah BYU thing? How did that happen? Well, I mean, I really don't have a horse in this race, right? I mean, I'm not a fan of UW and, you know, certainly not a fan of BYU. So I'm kind of enjoying them going back and forth against each other. It's kind of fun for me. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It's a, isn't it just the most 2020 thing ever? Just everything's a mess. Nothing seems to make sense. Things that seem like they would fit like a glove don't. Glove don't fit. Don't acquit. Whatever it is, right? <laughs> I mean, that's where we are right now. It's... I don't know, man. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a tough go. I mean, we're still trying to stomach the fact that we don't have our rivalry game that's going to take place this weekend. That's not going to happen. And so now next step is to find another game. It's like, uh, it's like an AU basketball tournament. Who's up next? 
So you believe that BYU should enter an agreement with Washington to play them, even if that uh, ends up being the Huskies don't play them and play Utah? Yeah, I mean, I, I understand the politics of it, and I probably understand it better than people up here do in the sense that the, the, you, you don't want to be BYU and be prepping for a game against Washington and all of a sudden, you know, ASU cancels, uh, your school, PK, cancels. Um, and, and then, you know, all of a sudden, because of the Pac-12 rules, uh, you know, you get, you get pushed aside for your in-state rival who you are not part of their party in their conference anyway. I mean, I understand all of that. I get that. I also, I, I just think that, I think we all, and I say we, like you, like the three of us have any say in it. I think everyone needs to, to probably be better in this case. And I think, you know, for, for the Pac-12, I know what their agreement is. They need to, you know, if, if a game's canceled by Thursday or what have you, then, you know, you got to have, and, and you can play a Pac-12 team. That's what they'll do. Uh, I, I think at some point, this is where the conference needs to step in. Leadership needs to step in on all sides. Jen Cohen at Washington, Tom Holmo at BYU, and, and Larry Scott at the Pac-12, and say, listen, BYU is playing Washington this weekend. Utah, if you can't get a game with ASU, that's we're sorry. Tough. We move on, and that's the way it should be. But. Uh, you know, it's not obviously going to happen that way. And in the end, I bet I'll bet you anything. Washington ends up probably playing San Diego State, which nobody wants to see. Why you got to be like sorry, that, Ian? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Why sorry. you got to be like <laughs> sorry, that, DJ? I'm sitting but here, right, Ian. Mind my own business. On I want that to happen because the more games Brady Hoke loses, the quicker we move on to the next guy. And yeah. He'll probably be another Brady Hoke, but he might be a Rocky Long. <laughs> okay. You know, Brocky Long, good when you got Brian Lurlocker, right? That's how that works. But anyway, we, we move on. I digress. <laughs> I digress. Let's not break down the greatness of San Diego State football now. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, I, I'm a little surprised this became a thing because Kyle Whittingham in a postgame Saturday night after USC is talking about finding out who they're going to play next, which Kyle doesn't like to lead on these things. So that makes me think that there are a bunch of people who have talked to Kyle who've indicated ASU probably can't go. So I'm, I'm a little curious why Washington went down the road for, with BYU when the Utes seem like a pretty good probability or Kyle wouldn't be talking about it. Right. Does Washington let's, let's, need a game that badly, or is this just why you well, hate UW? Back, yeah, let's, let's, we'll, we'll, let me walk it back just a little bit. So, you know, so Washington's first game, is, as many people know, was canceled with Cal because Cal had, you know, is, is in Berkeley, and they've got that, you know, basically one positive test means you've got 90 positive tests because um, Berkeley is so, is so uh, tight with, with how their contact tracing works. So... Washington's first week is canceled, and that was a last-second thing. They actually tried to get a game with Arizona because that was Arizona supposed to play at, uh, mm-hmm. Utah. Uh, at Utah, and Arizona you know, ended up, was going to play Washington anyway. And so they had that in place. That didn't come to fruition, mostly because I think the biggest issue there was Washington was not going uh, was not going to be the home game home team. Neither team was going to be a home team, so you weren't set up for hotels and and travel. You know, not so much travel with the airplane, but buses and all that kind of stuff. So just the logistics didn't work out. So Washington loses that first game. They play, you know, the, the last two weeks. They there was word. I, I think I first heard about Jaden Delora, the quarterback at Wazoo's test on Wednesday night, Thursday morning. 
Uh, we were getting word that off the record that, that he was testing positive. So Washington was already aware of the potential of the Apple Cup being uh, not played. And so when that happened, you know, obviously you start reaching out. I mean, Jen Cohen's an outstanding athletic director at Washington, and she starts reaching out. And, you know, and, and I heard BYU right off the get-go um, early. And and that was probably end of last week, you know, along with some other Mountain West Conference schools that they were reaching out to because they didn't want to go another week without a game. So they were going down that road for a while. And then, of course, then BYU, as Washington was already going down pursuing that possibility, BYU sends the tweet out anytime, anyplace, anywhere. You know, which, was, <laughs> I mean... Just it's one of those things where you do that in today's world. Me and anybody else, we're going to have fun with it. I, I more than anything, just because it's BYU, uh, and not that I want to throw a firecracker into the you know murder hornet's nest, but why not? Um, but you know that comes out. Well, then everyone's like, let's go. And I think, you know, all joking aside, guys, the appetite for Washington and BYU is would be great. And all due respect to Utah, the appetite for Washington and BYU is far greater than Washington-Utah, especially after watching that debacle of a game for Utah on Saturday. So, you know, Washington thinks they have something special this year. I don't know. I don't know how good they are. I think it's hard to tell because Arizona's awful. And they beat an Oregon State team on just a, a horrific call. I mean, that, 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 you know, it's a different ball game if, if it's first and goal at the two with Jefferson. Uh, not once, but twice. That's a different football game. Washington kind of struggled early on that game, but they think they're pretty good. So I think there's a huge appetite for BYU and Washington. And, hell, guys, this is the year to do it, right? This is the year you, you know, I think I pointed this out last night. It, you know, every year, the dumbest thing about college football is schools are made a decade in advance and then canceled and postponed, not for COVID, but, you know, you know, you guys all know how it works. You know, hey, Pac-12 school schedule, Big Ten school, Big Ten school, you know, decides to cancel a year before. This is the year you can have a last-minute game. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. How bad does it look like the Pac-12 bungled this situation by not starting earlier and That's therefore it. building themselves some potential oh. makeup oh. weeks into their season? PK, that's that's it, 100 percent, isn't it? I mean, that's the, you you send out a press release and are all trumping the fact that you've got this great you know testing program and it's a state of the art and you've got a, a you know a, 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 an agreement, a marketing agreement with this company to do so, and you're smarter than everybody because you are the Pac-12. Remember, you're smarter than everybody. That's why there's no appetite for BYU in the conference because, you know, even though it's a good school and hard to get into, you're not as smart as the rest of this conference because you're not a true land-grant, vet school, med school, research institution, right? So we're smarter than everybody, but we wait, we're going to sit around and twiddle our thumbs for two weeks and give ourselves no leeway whatsoever for, um, you know, for, for scheduling and for issues. So, yeah, they bungled it immensely. They, they completely bungled it. I mean, they, they're trying to fit this, this small, short little schedule in, you know, six weeks, seven weeks into six or seven weeks, and it just isn't good. And, and, and really, the only reason it's, it's, there's even this deadline, guys, as we know, is because they have some sort of weird, perverted thought that they, they're going to get into the college football playoff, which <laughs> I think we all understand they're not, right? I mean, maybe Oregon, maybe USC, but let's – one of those two teams will kick a game along the way, right? So it's it's not going to happen for them. So why why try to shoehorn this this schedule into the you know six week time span? Can you explain why New Mexico wanted to play so badly that they moved games to Las Vegas, and San Jose wanted to play so badly that they moved games to Humboldt, but the Pac twelve 
just kind of sat around for a couple weeks? Well, I mean, I think we all know why teams are playing. It's because there's there's money involved, and and I think that's and 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 I think we always have to. You know, I don't know what, how you guys approach your shows and, and audiences down there, but I always want to. I was going to preface that by saying because people say, "Oh, it's the money grab." Well, it's a money grab for the entire athletic department. Uh, you know, we lost March Madness last year and the billions of dollars that go with that. And then if all of a sudden you lose, you know, college football, uh, I mean, we've already seen across the country, you know, programs being cut, uh, athletic departments and, and good people who work so hard and passionately losing their jobs, like across the country and all other aspects of life. But, you know, I mean, if all of a sudden you lose you know, two non-revenue sports and all that goes with it. How many kids would have an opportunity to maybe go to school don't have that opportunity anymore? Um, so, yeah, I understand. I think we all understand why they're trying to play, no matter what level, Mountain West, Pac-12, SEC, what have you, because they need the revenue. And so, you know, it's and, and you need to kind of keep that thing going. And, guys, the other part of it, too, and I have a senior in high school who's a high school player who's probably going to play on Saturdays in football, uh, like, I don't diminish the fact that these guys work their tail off all year, train all year, work so hard. And there is part of me that says that not everybody's worried about not getting enough from a scholarship. There's a lot of kids that just want to play. Um, so if you can do it safely, I understand that too. You think there's the chance that the Apple Cup can be rescheduled on the 19th if neither of those teams are playing for the uh, conference title? Yeah, I think so, PK, because you know they initially talked about what the crossover nonsense Um, you know, like playing a South team, South and North, all that kind of stuff. And, and, but it sounds like they're going to try to make that happen on the 19th. I mean, I think what it'll come down to is Washington and Oregon, uh, which is the 12th, I believe, um, the last game. So whoever wins that is probably the North rep in the uh, Pac-12 championship game. And, and so if it's Washington doesn't win that game, then they would probably play that, try to play the Apple Cup in two weeks. I mean, Wazoo's, you know, I understand why Wazoo's got issues. I don't know what, be, what Utah's issues were necessarily, but Wazoo's issues were, you know, they, new coach, and not just one new coach, like Washington, you know, because this is the, the, the stones being tossed by the Washington guys today. It's like, well, you know, they, Washington did everything right and they're healthy, and, you know, why is Wazoo not doing that? Wazoo was in a different situation. Washington, with Jimmy Lake came in, he retained most of his coaching staff. He's got a new offensive coordinator, but his defensive coaching staff, his line coach is the same, all those guys are the same. Wazoo, Nick Rolovich came in, and you guys know how it works. Brand new staff, there's attrition. Um, and so, you know, when Rolo said two weeks ago, hey, we were without 32 guys, well, it wasn't just COVID. It was, you know, one or two guys had COVID at that point or a test positive. But opt-outs, um, transfers, people in the transfer portal and so forth, I mean, they're just down in numbers right now. So we're hoping that they get those numbers back up in the next two weeks and, and can play USC a, a week from this Friday and then uh, resume the season after that. But we'll have to wait and see. So it's a little bit – it's a challenge. Every school has a different challenge this year. Every school has different op- uh, um, problems that they have to face, and I think that's that's something to remember as well. I, I just think, you know, as far as – and I just got a text. Uh, as of now, BYU is out for Washington. So uh, – and that's someone that's talking to Washington directly. So it doesn't sound like that's going to happen at all. So we're seeing basketball games and tournaments canceled. We've seen football turned upside down. How upside down do you think basketball is going to be? Uh, very, very, very. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, maybe it's easier. I don't know. I mean, Wazoo's coach, Kyle Smith, tested positive. No symptoms, but he tested positive. I mean, I think that's one of the things we're running into right now. So, um, you know, I'll, I, I, I don't know, man. I, I wish I knew. I think we all wish we knew. It's just this great uncertain terms. 
um, it's just it's just a bad time, man. It's just a it's. I mean, you hope people are safe and not getting sick. Um, it's just it's tough, man. It's just I just I'm, I don't know about you guys. I think every day it just seems like it's a new challenge and a new a new set of bad news is uh, rolling down at us. But such is 2020, right? So you're familiar with BYU's program, I'm sure. Obviously, I don't know how much you've seen them play this year, but you know they look pretty good to me. Zach Wilson looks good. They've got yeah. good receivers, and yeah. defensively, they got some players. How legit do you think they are? I think they're really. I think I think they're really legit, PK, and I think that's why we're, that's why we all want to see BYU Utah or BYU Washington, right? Like, let's let's get the barometer out and see where both these programs are. Like I want to. I mean, North Alabama is not a test. I mean, it, let, let's go get it. Let's see. Let's see what you are, and if not, let's see BYU Cincinnati play. You know, and if one of those two, whoever comes out of that thing, I mean, let's 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 get a barometer. Let's get a test. I think they're good. I think Zach Wilson's special. You know, I mean, I I, I think BYU looks like you know the BYU of, of of the past. Big, strong. They got some athletes. They got some dudes. I mean, I just I I think they're I think they're really good. Um, but we don't know, and we don't know how good Washington is. That's that's the problem we're running into this year. But you know, I, I, part of it too. Let's be honest. There is no, there's not, there's no true appetite in the Pac-12 for for anything having to do with BYU. Uh, you know, I mean, I think I think that's that's the harsh reality. That's been the case, you know, for 25, 30, 40 years. Um, BYU wants to be a part of the party, but you know, with with the restrictions they have on Sunday play and other things. Um, you know, I think it's. I, I think the Pac-12 doesn't want to, you know, bend over and say, yeah, you know, we'll make concessions for you, but nobody else. And so, I don't think there's just a huge appetite for BYU as far as the conference, the presidents, the athletic directors, and and even at the offices in the uh, in, in San Francisco. Do you think the Pac-12 really has an appetite for a playoff berth this year? Because it'd be great to get in and get the money. But watching teams play, and maybe Indiana punched a bit of a hole in this with that game against Ohio State. But whoever gets in at four, is there a decent chance that they just get annihilated by Alabama, Clemson, or Ohio State? Maybe, but maybe not. I mean, I think Oregon's pretty good um, just watching them play against Wazoo. But, you know, maybe Wazoo's not good at all, and they hung around for, for three and a half quarters against that team, so maybe Oregon's not good. I don't know who is good this year. You know, I mean, LSU got beat by Mike Leach's at Mississippi State team. has looked horrible since. You know, LSU isn't what it used to be. You know, Alabama might still be Alabama, but they lost a ton of dudes too. I think seven guys off their defense to, to the NFL. I mean, so we, it, it, because of the way the schedule is this year, the great unknown is all through college football. That's why if you can have a game and get a game and do a game, let's do it, man. Let's make it work. I know you're way out of the way now, but can you believe what's happened to Utah State? Oh. That's a whole different conversation, man. I wish I knew. I wish I knew what was going on with Gary and everything else, man. I thought that guy was a heck of a coach. I liked the guy, but I, that's just that is just a disaster, man. What a train wreck that is. Always keep in your back pocket what happens to a coach when they go back to a job for a second time. It sounds good. It's a feel good. But when Gary got hired, there were a bunch of numbers out there. People wrote stories, dug it up. Stanford's been through it because he brought Bill Walsh back a second time. And there were a lot of red flags that this isn't going to work, and then it didn't work in spectacular fashion. Oh, exactly. Hey, i got to pop a new TV, boys. I will talk to you soon, all right? There's Ian Furness, KJR, and Q13 Fox. Look at him, radio, TV, big time, getting it done in Seattle. Thanks to Ian for coming on. We appreciate that. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines coming up.